Okay, let's go. So nutrient neutrality. Say it again. Nutrient neutrality. Nutrient neutrality. I can't say it. I can just say N and N actually. Yeah, just say N and N. We'll introduce it as N and N. Okay. Just okay. Okay. The Standing Orders Podcast. So welcome to the second in the series of the Standing Orders Podcast with me, Dr. Thomas Foreman, and my co-host, Councillor Sue Lorne. Good afternoon. Can you stop hitting your wire against your cup while you're talking? Is that, is that possible? Yeah, otherwise, that it sounds like, like we're in a boxing alarm. ring. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was just going to say. It's a little alarm to say, let the, let the discussions begin. So today we're going to be talking crap, councillor. Um, we're going to be talking about nutrient neutrality, and we're going to be talking about sewage in the rivers. And then we'll be answering uh, one or two questions that have been put across and no doubt we'll be talking crap then as well. So for the next 30 minutes, it's probably advisable not to be uh, eating anything. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> so to, to start, I think, because it's become really topical in the last few, well, the last few years, the last few months, and now the last few weeks, um, we're going to kick off with uh, the topic of nutrient neutrality. And for those who are lucky enough not to know what nutrient neutrality is, uh, it's a status that has been put in place by Natural England. In Wales, it's Natural Resources Wales that are responsible for phosphorus levels. But it's a restriction on determining planning applications, which will lead to an increase in overnight residential uh, occupation. So some extensions will be okay. But any new developments, so new housing developments, new properties being built, none of these could be determined unless they can be proven to be nutrient neutral, which means that the wastewater and the surface runoff uh, will not enter the uh, protected freshwater environments. And they do enter the uh, freshwater environments. They're not going to lead to an increase in either nitrogen or phosphorus or, or any of the other nutrients that stimulates plant growth, therefore impacting on wildlife. And this came about from a, um, I think, a court finding in 2017. And then it was a transfer of one of the European laws across to British law. I think it was the conservation of natural habitats and wild fauna and flora. So these restrictions are in place um, basically anywhere you put uh, your pen on a map in north, in south, in east and in west. Uh, I think you're pretty much okay in the centre of, uh, of England at the moment and obviously in Wales as well, Natural Resources Wales have done a similar um, process on, on some areas of Carmarthenshire is an area that's been affected. And so 32 local planning areas, uh, they were found to be in unfavourable condition, meaning development could only go ahead if it would not cause increased pollution. Essentially, developments can only be permitted without impact on the condition of protected sites. So I think that's enough of the, the dry stuff. Uh, Councillor, you were the portfolio holder for planning at Broadland. So I assume you may have a, a passing knowledge of the impact that this is having, and you probably have a few opinions about it as well. Yes. And it's, uh, yes, I was the portfolio holder at uh, Broadland for planning when this came into effect in March 2022. Was that a good day? <laughs> <laughs> that was a very frustrating day. I'm still in shock that... Um, we all remember where we were when we first heard about nutrient neutrality. 
the world stopped. It's like JFK being shot and then where I was when I heard about neutrality for the first time. Everything that the planning department had ever um, been involved in suddenly came to a halt. So, yes, it was extremely frustrating. It was, it was frustrating for the planning department. It was frustrating for... It was because we'd, we'd just come out of lockdown, for goodness sake. We, we, the capacity of all the applications that were building up was already taking uh, officers well and truly above their capacity. And then we're getting things almost back to normal and then it all grinds to a halt and they're all building up and building up as, as the time went on. I bet the person who got that email is wishing they didn't send read receipts they, to Natural England. <laughs> <laughs> Wish they hadn't actually opened it for about six weeks. But no, Spam. So, <laughs> so no, it, uh, as I say, it's a very frustrating, and as we make a, a joke about this, but for a lot of small developers and, and large developers as well, you know, this is a really, really frustrating, really serious situation um, because absolutely nothing can happen until, um, you know, until this is resolved. No, you're absolutely right. And I mean, even this week, I was chatting to someone who was a builder and was subcontracted in uh, by a construction company. And he's at risk of losing his job because a lot of these developments now aren't taking place as planned. And so people during a cost of living crisis are actually losing jobs because of this. And it's bringing construction to a halt. It is meaning that the housing crisis is getting worse as well. So in line with the cost of living crisis, there's a housing crisis. People are potentially losing their jobs because of this. And also, which I think is actually with a lot of people thinking, why is this important to me? Not only is it important to members of the community in which, you know, councils serve, but actually it means if you're a council and you can't prove your five-year land supply, well, actually developers may start applying for land, which previously you could have said no to, but now you don't have a five-year land supply, you may have to permit development on sites which otherwise you would have turned down. But because of nutrient neutrality, you can determine on these these sites which otherwise wouldn't have been suitable because you can't develop on the sites that you'd already earmarked because of nutrient neutrality. So therefore, you'll probably see more developments in areas that actually you wanted to preserve. And if everybody's got the gist of all of that, <laughs> they'll be doing so well. You see, you're not yes. the only one who can have a soapbox, counsellor. <laughs> and, and this is so true. So, and again, you know, we, we've worked hard to make sure that we got up to the, the um, you know, the figures that we were expected to, to be uh, providing with the government's uh, figures. And and now, yeah, we're, we're right back to right back to square one where we're way under the, the 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 scale that they'd expected us to do just one other clarification i just need to give you is that i was the portfolio holder for planning when this came in in march uh, 22 and then i'm no longer the portfolio you're quickly washing your hands of planning <laughs> just need to clarify that i'm not going to be saying something that might impact on uh, a situation that i'm no longer involved in so um but this is my opinion so my frustrations is as i've said and it just goes through the whole market it's not just the you know the the sites that are suffering because of this but i can't understand how a quango, such as Natural England. Could you is, just explain to me what a quango stands for, Councillor? 
Oh, I knew you. Hang on. It's. Uh, I think. Uh, I believe it's a, my, a quasi-autonomous <laughs> non-governmental organisation that is funded <laughs> by the government. It is indeed. And um, yes, and I think Natural England is funded by ninety-one percent of government money. Yeah. And um, just yeah, off the so. top of your head, <laughs> <laughs> something I prepared earlier. No, I've because because of the situation, I've I've looked into Natural England and and. Because I'm amazed. Blimey, if they thought they had pressure before, <laughs> they've now got the scrutiny of Councillor Soulon. I'm, I'm amazed that they are able to bring the economy of Norfolk to standstill. I mean, I think there's a point to be made there, which is the obviously Natural England, by law, have to kind of send these notices out. But I think it, it's who is responsible for doing this. And so the sewage... The surface runoff all go in the same pipes, all end up at water treatment plants. This rule was brought in in terms of nutrient neutrality years ago, whereas now we're looking at the government stepping in and saying water companies are now going to have to up their game in these areas and water companies can't put people's bills up for the next three years to do it. And actually water companies are then going to have to be taking the lead on it. Well, why were water companies not doing this? Five years ago, you know, they've had a period of years, they've been paying up dividends. And actually, it's because of that, that the systems get overloaded, that the system during storms then ejects into fresh water, that raises the nutrient load. And we're then seeing this happen. But then the flip side of it is developers making huge amounts of money off developments, why should they not be funding things that, that then mitigate the amount of nutrients they're putting into fresh water? Why should it be everyone else who pays their water rates to then fund this through the water companies? And I'm not saying in any way that the developers, the large well, developers... Well, it sounds like you are. <laughs> <laughs> that the, the large developers should not be paying, that they should be paying a fee towards um, the mitigation of, of you know this situation. But they should have had more notice. I would have liked to have seen a lot more negotiations before they came through and simply said, that's it. So, if there had been some more negotiations pre the, the letter coming out or giving people time to, to understand what was going to happen. But, um, but it's part of a local plan. You know, local planning authorities have to produce a habitat regulation assessment and, and so that would pick up on issues like this. You know, these aren't new things. And so why weren't planning authorities, when 32 local planning authorities were issued with this notice, like three years previous, like why were planning authorities in areas which have fresh water and have protected environments, why were they not then proactively saying, well, actually, what's the nutrient load now? What is the threshold? And being more proactive in seeking advice from Natural England before that point, instead of waiting for Natural England to say the threshold's been reached, should there not have been better regulation of the planning system locally to, to prevent that from then happening? And then ideally, Natural England not needing to step in and say this threshold's been reached, should local planning authorities not have better regulated the developments in their area to prevent this from happening? Well, planning authorities did. There always was the policies in place to cover those. I mean, looking at councils, not necessarily locally, but looking through and, you know, I've been to a few district council planning meetings and a few county council planning meetings kind of elsewhere. And I think it always feels a little bit like whenever someone says, well, what's going to happen with the water from this or what's going to happen to the sewage from that? And it's always 
pretty quickly brushed over that, well, actually, this isn't a matter for us to necessarily be looking at. And there's adequate provision. Anglian Water haven't raised this issue. And now it's kind of come to a head. But this is exactly what the situation is. The water companies are consulted. So if they felt that there was any issues in relation to that application, it was up to any of the water authorities to come back and say, well, hang on a minute, you know, I've never seen an application where any of the water companies have come back and said, no, we can't cope with this development going through. Every one of them, and I, I put my hat on this one, is that they all say, no, we can take this. We have got the capacity. It is the responsibility of the water companies. And although the government have made the announcement to say water companies have to to these levels, particularly in these environments, and also have enabled developers to pay for credits. And I think, to be fair, the, the latest rules that are coming out are prioritising SME builders to ensure that they can get started as quickly as possible. I think that you know, it's a really difficult message to to sell to SMEs that the water companies that are generating millions in profit and returning huge amounts to shareholders are not making the investment that would actually then have prevented raw sewage and surface water going out into freshwater areas. Um, and actually, instead of making those investments, they're paying shareholders they're not particularly good at, at fixing other issues in the water network. And, you know, we're looking now at uh, the amount of waste through leaks that water companies have. And so water companies, on one hand, have leaky pipes, so the, the water literally floods out. Equally, they're also not treating the sewage. They're ejecting it straight into a freshwater environment. That stops houses being built. That adds to the uh, the housing crisis it also adds to, you know, the cost of living crisis for people who are employed in the construction industry. And actually, it brings it all to a standstill. Yes. And, and again, you know, go back to the bit where you just said they can buy credits. Yeah. How hypocritical is that? You know, you, you, in, in one breath, you're saying, OK, you can't build these, the, you can't build this 600 house development, but yet you can buy credits you could pay the, the county council to build a lake or something more acceptable to natural England, then, um, but the, the, the development still goes ahead. And I will say, I think from, from natural England, um, one of the things that has really surprised me is that, that there's even been criticism of the calculator that they've produced for district councils that isn't actually accurate. And so if, you know, there's inaccurate information from Natural England, then surely that makes district councils' lives a lot more difficult. But, and again, is Natural England are telling the district councils that they have a criteria that they have to, they have to adhere to, but they're not telling them what the criteria is. We want you to make sure that all the applications are NNN, and then you have to make it up yourself. You have to come back and tell us what you think is acceptable. I know that the officers were working so hard to try to discuss with Natural England just exactly what they wanted. And and again, you know, we've been told it would take six months, it would take eight months, and now they're talking about a year plus before we can start building again. I mean, I think the, the difficulty is, and I don't necessarily blame Natural England for this, which is Every environment is different. And so the issues down uh, in the south of England, around the Solon, is going to be different to the issues in, in the west of England, different to the issues in, in Wales, and it's going to be different to the issues in the Norfolk Broads. And so that's why I think, you know, there is some responsibility on local planning authorities to ensure that actually they're monitoring and they're ensuring that development in these catchment areas is 
suitable, that it isn't going to add to the nutrient load, and that they're passing applications in a meaningful way. And actually, you know, that, that's where it starts. And you can put the blame on um, Natural England. I mean, I'm pretty sure that if Natural England had a choice, this would not be the way. I seriously beg to differ on what you're, <laughs> what you're saying there. I, I don't believe that for one moment they did have a choice as to how they were going to um, to bring this about. And, and they should have taken into consideration the impact that it's going to have. And um, as far as I can see, they don't have an idea of the impact or they don't care about the impact that it's having. They're out to prove their point. And I, I totally understand the waters need to be cleaned up. The Environment Agency seriously need to take um, control of the situation. We've got, um, we've seen it in the press over the last few months about the rivers. Yeah, you're right. And um, I mean, when you look at raw sewage being pumped out, I think they were saying something along the lines of 375,000 times last year, raw sewage was pumped out into rivers. And you think that is a huge amount into rivers that are generally used for recreation. And I mean, your talk about kind of the environment agency that, you know, kind of brings us on a bit to, I guess, my biggest bugbear. And, and it's my biggest bugbear mainly because, as you know, councillor, um, you know, we have had locally raw sewage being, uh, pumped, not pumped, <laughs> not pumped just being, thrown, being discharged <laughs> into, uh, into the water. And actually, you know, the way the Environment Agency became aware of it was actually because I reported it, because I was uh, I was sculling uh, on the river. I stopped to talk to someone, and then around me bubbled a mass <laughs> of, of brown fluid. And actually, they turned on the pump-out system while I was sitting there. I like to think it wasn't deliberate. But actually, then bubbling sewage came around me, and the person looked at me from the bank and said, well, you've seen it yourself now, so I don't need to report it. And for those people who are rowers... Um, when I say from that massive, and I will say, you know, massive patch of sewage that was beneath me, um, I did arms only until I got clear of it. And for those who aren't rowers, arms only is probably the most stable way of moving a sculling boat that you can without the prospect of falling in. Say, everyone has this wonderful idea about rowing, particularly, you know, in lovely, protected wetland environments. I tell you what, when you watch... You're just so passionate <laughs> about this. When you watch the Oxford and Cambridge boat race, you don't see them afterwards getting out the toilet duck. That day, there was an awful lot of, uh, of disinfectant going on because of the amount of raw, untreated sewage that was just appearing from boats. Mm. And so when you report that raw sewage is being discharged... From a, a, and I mean, it's about 30 people on boats this was discharged from. And it is all. No, that was, I think it, it's more like 30 boats. 30 no. boats. 100 people <laughs> that, that, um, so, you know, without going into details as to the exact area, a conservative estimate you're looking at, and that, that's not conservative, um, like you, <laughs> Councillor. Um, let's say 10 households worth of sewage is being pumped out directly into the river every day. And Almost. it's not just going as a, a chain, you know, as, as the loo is flushed, it's going in bulk. Absolutely. So, and and um, that includes tissues, it includes wet wipes, it includes everything. sweet corn. Um, I it includes, <laughs> it includes everything. It's just too much information. <laughs> and, and so, you know, this can happen. And you can go and buy a boat. You can go onto the river, potentially. You can then discharge sewage straight into the river. And from the Environment Agency's perspective... And your dog. Um, and from the Environment Agency's perspective, and it's not actually down to them, legislatively, there's an exemption 
for boats. So boats do not need a permit to discharge sewage into the river. They have an exemption for it. And then, you know, you're, you're relying on bylaws to enforce in many areas in England and Wales. And bylaws will give you, to the most part, perhaps a fine on the scale of around level three, a maximum of about a thousand pounds. And it will cost the navigation authority or whoever is going to do the enforcement probably two and a half thousand pounds and a couple of years to get it to a magistrate's court. And so why would you spend out two, three thousand pounds to prosecute something, get a fine of a thousand, which I don't know, you probably won't see. And the answer from the environment agency will be, well, actually, once you dilute it, it's not going to be a huge issue. And the impact on the environment isn't going to be massive. Whereas at the same time, you've got nutrient neutrality saying you have one household and that's too much. And we're putting a total ban on applications being passed until you can prove that you have done sufficient mitigations, that there won't be an increase in the nutrient load. And so you're thinking, well, I can buy a boat and I can do the same thing. But if you build a house and do it, then that's a massive problem. I see the logic behind it, that you're not going to be flooded with boats. But then also think if you have that, as you say, that bulk of, say, you know, 30 lots of sewage all being put out into a river, which isn't particularly tidal, you know... Whenever they say... Sorry, excuse my high horse on that one. It's just, I feel very passionate. <laughs> yeah. It was close to there my heart. It was actually very close to my heart at one point, if I'd have gone in. <laughs> and I do believe that at one time you have fallen... I have, in, in that same area. And had I known, I would have been far more careful. I will say, when I, fell in, when I fell in that time, it's because I hit a log. And luckily, that log was one that was an oak log, <laughs> as opposed to anything else that could have turned the boat over. This is just going into too much detail. <laughs> like I said, well, there is going to be a lot of crap talk. But sewage, <laughs> <laughs> But again, this is this is why my frustration is. And whenever you then see somebody like uh, Natural England come along and say, "Okay, district councils have now got to start playing their part in it," but yet all the paperwork that I've gone through and all the research that I've done on it, I can't see a single word where they say that the water companies have got to start pulling their weight on the situation. Well, I, I think the government have now said that water companies need to yes. start pulling their weight. Whereas I think, you know, Natural England can only do what's within their field of expertise. It's, it's the bigger picture. You know, it's the economy, it's the housing supplies. It, it's just unacceptable that they can bring everything to a halt. It, it shouldn't be, um, you know, it should, that's not how it should be. I feel the same as you, you know, about about going through the, the sewage in the in the river. This I and again, I think you have worked... to go out on a boat first, Councillor. <laughs> yes, oh, if I put you out I on know. a sculling boat <laughs> in the middle of sewage, then you'll know how I felt. Having to row with my arms? <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't get that. But I know, and I did, um, and I don't think that we ever wanted this to be a serious, serious discussion. But it is. Is I I I see it from. Everybody's point of view is I see it from the officers at the district council. I see it from the small developers. And I also appreciate the large developments that um, are waiting to come on. It's the economy is is just is totally unacceptable that this in this day and age, as I said, a quango can determine what happens in a whole county. And can you it's just explain just... to me again, what does Quango stand for, Councillor? <laughs> I'll just get that. I don't know. <laughs> Let me just tell you what it says. But it's it's not... Uh, in, 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 again, you aren't it's, actually Googling it, are you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. 
And but but it's you know it's it's still a serious situation. We're having a giggle about it and being serious at the same time. But no, it's a really really frustrating situation. And I think that as soon as we get the next prime minister in place, this is one of the most important things they should be dealing with. Well, that's just aged this podcast no end. <laughs> because, because by the time it's released, okay. the new prime minister will be in place. So can, can we got, just... We can do it again okay. in a couple of years' time, but we shouldn't be talking about this can, in a couple of years' can, time. Can we just roll back? And can you do one which just says, and when... You know, Liz Truss takes over, and then can you do another one that says when Rishi Sunak takes over, just so that I can edit it in, and then we'll have exactly which prime minister well, will be. Well, let's hope that it's not in two years' time. Whenever we have the general election, that um, we're still talking about this situation. Yeah, I'm, I'm not touching uh, which government will be coming in then. But let's move on to something slightly lighter, which is. Although we, we said, you know, if you have any topics, and I think then you continued to say, um, you know, if you want to be a town councillor, yes. then get in touch. Well, actually, we, we have had a couple of questions. And I'm going to put those questions to you, councillor. No, I'm only joking. Don't, don't worry. <laughs> so, yeah. I was going to say, can I just have five minutes just to reflect? So one of the, um, the well, we, we had two questions, which, which were, first of all, do you and I generally disagree? Always. <laughs> well, that's our answer. Again, you're very good with, with, with You're probably the only politician no. that, that kind of comes across with the one word answer as to actually. <laughs> and the, the, the second question is, um, and, and this was, I, I thought initially, uh, was a joke. And uh, then when I, I kind of went back and uh, I spoke to the person, um, apparently, um, you know, they, they work in a council. Um, in a unitary council and just came across the podcast because it had been advertised somewhere and therefore listened to it. And their question was, what's a parish council? And so actually I thought that that's quite a nice question in, in some ways because not everywhere will be parished and not everywhere will have a parish council. And so I thought what we can do each time just to keep people interested is we can really? do five <laughs> seconds of what each type of council is and we'll do it over the next couple of times. So we'll start with um, town councils and parish councils. So we're going to say that parish and town are... Just the same. Generally, parish councils are the first tier of local government. So they are the ones that if you're in an area that is parished, will take care of some of the stuff that you see. So they have a duty to provide, for instance, allotments, but they also have a number of powers as well, which are things that they can do, but they don't have to. So those are things like community buildings, parks. Um, some have cemeteries, some have public toilets, some will look after war memorials, will provide bus stops. And for, for some as well, since we've been talking about sewage, they will be able to provide things like moorings for, for boats. And actually, mm -hmm. that then brings in my, my favourite piece of legislation, which is the, the Local Government Miscellaneous Provisions Act 1976, which gives us permission to provide uh, or a statutory power to provide moorings and water sports and that kind of recreation. So so the Localism Act um, then uh, basically gave uh, parish, town and, and uh, community councils the ability to do anything an individual can do more broadly. It's slightly more complicated than that if they meet the criteria, which is about how many councillors have been directly elected, whether the clerk holds the silka or other 
uh, qualification that, that gives you the power of general competence. Um, there have been some restrictions, and I think we'll look at that in the podcast series to say actually what have been the issues with the general power of competence. And of course, this, I think last year, was brought out in Wales as well. So Wales now has the general power of competence, and I believe that the latest council, which I think the first council to have the general power of competence in Wales was Carmarthen, which I think have only recently taken it on. So You're just um, a fountain of knowledge. Actually, I read the magazine just before. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> thank you to Clarkson Councils Direct for that. Yeah, so that's what a, a parish council is. I think next time we'll cover uh, what is a district council um, what is a county council and then give an overview of unitary and, and how they all come together. My uh, first time on a district council, I had six parishes. And this time on the district council, I have three councillors in one area of the of the town. So the first area so, you represented, they, they dump you pretty quickly. No, <laughs> <laughs> they didn't. They did it. And again, this is the other thing that you, in a district... Sorry, was there more story to that? that you, you just, <laughs> no, they didn't. I was just about to explain. When, um, so, you, you as a district councillor, as long as you live in the district, you can represent any area that um, that's happy to vote you in. So I didn't live in any of those six district um Parishes. And that's local democracy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, but again, we'll talk about this as time goes on, um, because I do find it frustrating as well that as an MP, you can you can be elected to serve in in, in a community that you you don't live in, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't I don't necessarily agree with that. But uh, you know, but it is to me we never it, it should be that you you start at the the first tier parish and town council. You then move on to district, and it's it's just much more acceptable that the the person that's representing the area knows about the area. Okay, just so we don't age it again, can we can we name the candidates for the leader of the Conservative Party, and can we say? It frustrates me when MPs don't live in their constituency and then say, like Liz Truss, who now lives in Downing Street, and then say, like Rishi Sunak, who now lives in Downing Street. I mean, Councillor, just as a final question, do you have a favourite piece of legislation? No. Great. Okay. <laughs> no, but I'll think of one by the time we meet again. <laughs> Lovely. And so, as always, if anyone would like to suggest a topic or ask a question, then if you listen to the jingle at the end, that will give you details of of how to get in touch. Councillor, is there anything that you would like to add? Just that we won't be so serious next week. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Standing Orders podcast by Politis. Please like and subscribe to get your weekly edition. You can suggest topics by emailing podcast at politisconsulting.co.uk. See you next week. Um, so what was my breathing like? Breathing was perfect. No, I don't It was loud you. and clear. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, Thomas.